Wiakamana Wayakamana Maya Wini Tisutuka Kanalanakati Tasataya Matakasata Kimaka Kamatata Titayi Sitaki Kila Makan Mikika Waka Sitaki Kila Welcome to Khan Langry, the podcast about constructed languages, the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me in uh, Virginia right now is Mike Lentine. Hello. And we have a uh, special guest that many of you will know. Over in uh, England, we have Bianca Richards. Hello. Woo-hoo. So, you guys know Bianca. Uh like I said before, William's taking a break, and uh, the other person that I was planning on uh, getting on the show uh, as a replacement is not available for this week, so Bianca graciously stepped in to uh, talk about a uh, a conlang topic. How, how have things been going for you, Bianca? Uh, it's been all right. Not too much going on. Got a house, moved in. Now I'm working on getting a driver's license, so nothing yeah. exciting. I haven't done do anything have to, calmly. Hmm? Do you have to practice driving on the other side of the road then? I suppose. <laughs> I have to go through the lessons and stuff, so yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do they Do they have any different requirements, or is it basically the, the same? Well, I don't know what the requirements are were for you, but um, the test here is actually more of a test rather than just a series of retarded obstacles in a closed course. Um, <laughs> I think my driving license test took me no more than 20 minutes. So, huh. in the U.S., I, I've been told here it's a bit more serious. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if you have to learn to uh, drive a stick, because a lot of people drive stick shift Oh, well, I always drove a stick, so it's not really an issue. Mm. Well, but you have to do it on the other side. I don't see why that would matter. Uh, it can. I don't, I don't know. It. Uh, I don't like doing automatic. I, I can tell a story about that. Uh, do you mean like doing but, it with my left hand instead of my right hand? Yeah, shifting <laughs> with your uh, left hand and everything, but. Yeah, there's a story about that, but I don't belabor that point. Anyway, it's. It's not linguistically linguisticy enough for right now, but mm-hmm. we have uh this is what fifty seven right an odd number episode, and that means that yeah. yeah that means that yeah sixty seven sorry i I get <laughs> confused sometimes and uh so today we have a conlang episode for you guys. Uh, we're featuring, uh, Alubata. Alubata. The U, it's the U voice. is nasalized. Alubata. Yeah. And I, I was trying to get breathy voice on the, ah, uh, but. Yeah. Alubata. Uh, Alubata. Yeah, it's, it's a little hard, but, uh, because <laughs> few people use, uh, breathy voice, so we need to, so that was actually, one of Bianca, 
Bianca, one of your first notes, so many conlangs don't use breathy voice. Yeah, it's pretty uncommon, and I don't actually kind of like the way it's done here. I mean, if we're just going to go and start talking about it, I think one of the first things I noticed is it's a pretty small phoneme inventory or sound inventory, and which is built up with a bunch of interesting rules and stuff that happen, which we'll get to later. But I just noticed that the fricative, which she puts as an H, or glottal fricative, or whatever you want to call it if you don't think it's a fricative, um, doesn't actually have any surface form as the glottal fricative. It seems really? to either come out as, yeah, at least I haven't found it anywhere like that. Yeah, there's a lot usually... about the, there's a lot about that the allophony and and Cindy that seems a little bit weird. Um, in particular, like you mentioned, even that um, you can distinguish based on just where the syllable structure is. Which, I don't know, if that ever occurred, if something like that ever occurred, I don't know if anyone would ever analyze it that way, but... Um, so you mean the fact that it would distinguish between well, what it has underlying as at versus at e? I think there are... I think someone told me that Polish might have contrasting syllabification, syllabification. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong. Hmm. I guess it, it could occur. I mean, it it's sort of um, like for a nat lang to have that, you would have to actually have it be the only way you could possibly, um, the only way that you could possibly uh, analyze the the uh, syntax, right? Or no, the the uh, phonology, right? Sorry, I'm a little off I right suppose. now. I suppose. But yeah, anyway, it, it would have to be in a bit more of an obvious way because depending on where the stress is or if the syllable has a coda, then the A will change, so. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess it's, it's possible. It's plausible then. It's just, uh, there's so many different rules here. Yeah. That, yeah. that, like he even says that you know because of the way the rules are he uses a more of a phonetic transcription there's still a few I am places so where glad he does yeah there's still a few places where he doesn't make distinctions like he doesn't in his transcription he his his uh romanized transcription he doesn't distinguish between voiced and voiceless nasals but in other in Everywhere else, virtually everywhere else, he's distinguishing uh, f- phones, allophones, rather than phonemes, because it just works better that way. And um, so when you read stuff, you read the, the surface form. And, you know, it is one of those cases where that seems to be the, the uh, easier... Way to do things. Yeah. I mean, because it's such a reduced inventory, I think, I don't know what the official word on how much you want to include as a phoneme if you just want to include the, you know, 
internal sounds or the mental sounds in the language or if you want to include the contrastive sounds. If you were to include the contrastive sounds, then the inventory would be quite a bit larger. But he seems to only go with the mental concepts. Yeah, the underlying um, forms. That's the word well, I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an interesting question, right? Because in a human language, we can't necessarily figure out what the underlying the what all the underlying forms are. But in this case, with a conlang, you can just decide by fiat what the underlying forms are without respect to existing um, minimal pairs or anything like that. If you had a linguist um, analyzing just word, just uh, transcribed words with no input from this grammar, they might come up with an entirely different system. And I really wish we had the uh, author of this language on for this kind of discussion, but uh, I wasn't able to contact that that mm. person. So, uh, but it is a very interesting, and this part of it may stem from this is a proto proto language. Is <laughs> is what he said? It's the, the proto language of. It's the ancestor of a proto language that that the author is using for um, a a language family project that they're they're building. So I wonder. Uh, if that means he kind of derived it in reverse, he had to reverse engineer this from something, in which case it would probably explain some of the weird stuff going on. Or um, that might that might also that explain like um, I'm sorry, go on. Oh, go go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say um, if this is something of you know a form that's no longer spoken, that might you know kind of explain um, why maybe he has just an underlying form. Uh, phonemic inventory, whereas, you know, there, the actual sounds that there are in terms of what's the surface form are a lot greater. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he has a lot greater just because he has so few sounds to start with that, of course, you're going to get quite a bit going on. I would have liked to see Maybe... a chart with all the sounds that exist, like allophones included. Maybe he was, like, plugging in the like the first... 500 years of his sound changes mm. in that's actually it's a, actually a bit much for even 500 years or a thousand years but it's because this is a lot of um, phonological processes so, I guess not much for a thousand years but it's a little much for 500 but um, so but uh, and those are my made up numbers he didn't he didn't say he it doesn't say anything here about how long ago this was spoken or anything. I was just um, speculating. Mm-hmm. But um, so what else is interesting other than the crazy phonology that I really do suggest people take a look at it because it has some interesting ideas uh, about um, uh, what happens when two aspirates come together. Uh, what happens when aspirates and other sounds come together? Those are, those are interesting interactions that he has in there. Um, things with, um, nasalization. There, there's a, a weird rule where, uh, 
intervocalic N turns to L and then nasalizes the following vowel. Yeah. But um that that all that is very interesting stuff to uh to uh talk about. But moving along, there's so he has uh, let me see here. Let's see. <laughs> Actually Quantify. because of the craziness of his like his allophony rules or whatever, like there's reduplication later on which does some different things. But when the stem gets reduplicated, sometimes it's hard to tell it is, which I put here as being a mess, but it's actually a nice mess. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, he uses reduplication for uh, progressive aspect. Um, there's something to plural. do with plurals, and, too. Yeah. And yeah, kind of like a plural. more emphatic plural, I think. Yeah. <laughs> emphatic. Word that yeah. William hates, but he's not here. Yeah, a fringulose plural. Not th- <laughs> that would be weird. Um, that could that actually wouldn't be weird, but he doesn't have that. Um, so he has. There's a negative verb. That's an that's an interesting. I like that one. I know there has to be a real language out there. Unfortunately, unlike William, I don't know anything about things. Or if I do, it's just, if I do know something, it's just floating out there and it'll come to me while I'm walking down the street and I look at a bush and I'm like, that reminds me of this thing I learned when I was in kindergarten. But that's not important here. Uh, um, <laughs> I do like the negative verb. Yeah, so instead had, of a modal or. Huh? Yeah. He had a nice little contrast going on with it where. The pronouns, if you use like a dummy pronoun with it, with the negative verb, then that's kind of implying it doesn't exist. But if you skip the dummy verb, that means that it's like not in a location or... Oh, yeah. Interesting. Which I kind of liked. I think it emphasizes more it's not it not being there rather than yeah. it just done the non-existence of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it is not... Versus it is not there. Yeah. Which those are bad, bad English examples because the first one is not grammatical. But anyway, um, that's an interesting thing to explore, actually. Why can't we say it is not? Uh, not except as an, is, ex, except as an answer to a question with an implied. Well, if you say it is not, then it kind of leaves the listener wondering, you know, it is not what, but I guess, yeah. you know, it's simply, you know, you can't, he is. You'd have to go with something like, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. Is but, in a, it is in a state of non-existence. Yeah. But anyway, that's a little English rabbit hole. Let's pull back to uh, what we're talking about here. Uh, mm-hmm. There's n- nominal modifiers that are sort of like the adjective form. It looks like what it is is... Basically, stative verbs. Am I wrong in that assumption? Well, I mean, it looks like that kind of, but I think if it's, for example, he never, it doesn't really say um, what they are. Like, for example, beautiful women, he shows what it comes from, but I'm not sure if that's saying, like, it's a woman and then there's an attributive particle for beautiful that gets attached onto it to make the adjective or Mm -hmm. uh, how that goes. But it's it's kind of like um, non-modifiers can be 
stative verbs or these, you know, attributive um, phrases, so to speak. He did actually uh, use those to derive the... Um, where is it now? He derived the um, the sort of something like a relative clause from that. He calls it a modifier clause, but it looks it's basically like a relative clause. One interesting um, thing, the relative clause, um, does it have to be in a different sentence if it's the subject, I think? He mentioned it? that down in, his, uh, in the syntax area, I think. I was talking about the phrase order. Uh, let me find that. Oh, I did uh, not. So, I not, yeah. I did not see um, He says, uh, for subject subclauses, he says that subclauses cannot act as a subject. Instead, the construction has to be encoded in discourse using a third-person clitic as a subject. So, for example, um, he has, you ate the apple, period. That was not good. So I'm assuming that's well, that the rendition of... I'm sorry? Yeah. Well, I that's... I that's saying you ate the that's apple. That's the, the clause itself of um, a, being a, a subject, which is not... The, which is not what the modifier clauses are doing. The modifier clauses are basically a relative clause. They modify a noun, so. It's but really that's... kind of hard to tell what's going on, though. Yeah, it's a little. <sighs> like, it's, his verbs don't seem to have any sort of agreement with the subject for me to even see if it's mm. being conjugated, so. Yeah, the one thing about this language is that uh, some of the explanations are a little bit spare. It's it's just a, a giant list of things, and there's not so much glosses. So that's all presentation issues. There's not glosses. Says, there's just examples with translations. Hmm? Um, I've under morphosyntax. It says that verbs do not agree with their constituents, nor do modifiers with the word they modify. So, um, no, they don't have agreement. Yeah. Um, mm. Verbs are either intransitive or monotransitive, so that's pretty straightforward. Um, so, someone tell me what's going on with these pronouns. Well, um, you know, obviously there's three pronouns. There's first, second, and third person. And then I guess if you want the plural aspect of them, you just can attach the clitic onto them. Um, and then he has a proclitic form and an enclitic form, but... Moving on from there, I guess, aside from what's just written there, um, it looks like there's different forms for if there's, if it's used before a single consonant or before a vowel or other cases. What do you think, George? Um, oh, okay. Yeah. The proclitic, uh, virtually anything that he has that's proclitic has like two forms, one for, um, before a vowel and one for before a consonant. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just one of those uh things. And that makes sense with a lot of his um allophony stuff. You could think of it as those start those maybe started out free and then got glommed on mm-hmm. and uh be, as a result of phonological processes they were uh, uh oh the uh oh it's actually a little bit more complex because N is used before. The, the other thing is that his pronoun proclitics and enclitics are listed phonemically. So you'd have to attach those and then run them through all the uh, phonological processes to see what they actually turn into. 
Um, That's where it gets confusing with like his examples because he doesn't give you that. <laughs> you just get kind of lost in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do one place um, under the verb phrase that he talks about a pronoun clitic may attach to a verb phrase as a proclitic to indicate the subject and or as an enclitic to indicate a direct object. So he gave um, oh, okay. an example of the bear verb and then an example of that bear verb with a pronoun of I then with a direct object of it, then the whole sentence, I eat it. Um, and he oh, does okay. show... He shows the, this? What? Where is it? Yeah. Um, about one-third of the way down, right after, where he talks about prepositional pronouns. Oh, he, he shows, put up with the actual pronouns. Nah. Um, That's yeah. foolish. I think this... <laughs> The, it's this. There's just a few issues with uh, where he put things and how this is organized. Because this is um, what we're looking at is a web page grammar that it's kind of notes like in some mm-hmm. ways. He may have been sort of writing down notes and and uh, I mean, there's some structure. There's there's structure to it, but there's places where yeah, like. Not all the information on pronouns is one in one place. Um, so, and prepositional pronouns are another interesting thing. I'm, I guess it's, it's just the, the pronouns, the, the prepositions are, uh, proclitics, right? And then he attaches the enclitic, uh, onto, those to make a freestanding form. Elle is, elle is on me, Eda, on you, Ella, on him, her, and it. And, uh, so those are similar to Spanish contigo. But, yeah, or, um, uh, Irish. Gaelic actually has conjugated prep- uh, prepositions and it shows like yes. Ag is at and then Agam is at me and Agat, Agat, Aige. I, I'm probably mad yeah. on that. But, yeah, um, similar, just, similar to that, except that, um, those are, um, I think these are a little bit just so, sort of specific to parts of speech to places where you've used pronouns. Uh, I'm not, I think the, the Celtic languages actually have some agreement sometimes on that. Uh, don't quote me on that because I may <laughs> be completely lying. Um, <laughs> hmm. It's interesting, I mean, to see how different the actual surface form is from, you know, where it was derived from. I would, I mean, I know later on it shows um, interlinears really well, but up where he's explaining what happens with, say, conjugation or pronouns, I'd really love to see um, kind of an underlying layout of it, not just the IPA, but be showing morphine boundaries and that kind of thing. I'd like to see if he gave an example of some of these more complex words. If he did like a step-by-step running through each phonological process going on. Mm-hmm. Just to see. Because it's like if you look at some of these conjugations, I would not even think that they are from the same root word. And yet they are. Yeah. Well, and that's that comes from him having so many different processes working on the... It, it yeah. makes for some interesting uh, surface forms deriving the the sort of uh, regular irregularity that I, I've talked about on the yeah. show before. Um, I think he has like, mm-hmm. 
I was going to say he has like 14 different uh, Sandi rules, and they're all quite quite prevalent. So um, mm-hmm. it's like every single rule I'd see. Oh, I'd, I would. It looks like maybe two thirds of them are used in any one word. Um, you know, that's yeah. just a quick estimate. But, but there are a lot of changes that go on, um, and the words are not that long. So you know, oh, three changes to a word that's three letters long may make it a totally different looking word. One thing that I like is that even though his romanization is pretty much phonetic, uh, he added the phonemic transis- transcription on all of his examples so that you can actually read where these things come from. And then you can see how it's not really irregular. It's just phonological processes screwing with the the surface form. Yeah, and it helps to see how, like, the different clinics attach and how they change. Like, I'm looking at the conjugation of to be, even though it's not really conjugation since it's just clinics. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, if the underlying is N-O-K with aspiration, then the nasal ends up getting a surface form as the nasal, I, I'm not going to call them by their full name, a D and then an L and then a D and then an L again. Mm-hmm. Which is quite I nice really, to see. Yeah. Maybe we should feature some of the, uh, sometime down the road, maybe we should, we should look at the descendant languages for this. Cause I think, um, this language maybe sets things up to, uh, make the, his, you know, proto lang very complicated. And then, open up a wide variety of directions for uh, daughter languages because mm. you could have some lose certain forms or only use a certain form or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, have irregularities develop through analogies and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the green, uh, I, well, IPA transcriptions are the underlying IPA. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. the the underlying phonemic form, and that includes sil- syllable boundaries and uh, stress because that's important. Um, so you can you can look at stuff like uh, "uknal" became comes "ugno" or or uh, more drastic "al alnane" becomes "olani" "olani." Don't make me say yeah. that again. Uh, <laughs> there's a a lot of stuff going on, and he does has a, a sizable text that is glossed with interlinears. So you can yeah. take a look at that if you want to look at how things break down. I really there's so much about this language that's kind of baffling, and again, I really wish I could have gotten in contact with. Um, the uh the creator but the only email i found got bounced um but the i think it's a very interesting thing to read through on if you want to get some ideas for phonological processes and such i don't know how many people would really want to go as crazy as this but it's a, a very interesting sort of experiment in wacky uh, phonological processes leading to 
really crazy forms, surface forms. Yeah. I think that um, sometimes the, the phonological processes that, you know, wouldn't be layered on until the very end kind of muddle the waters when you're trying to figure out what's going on in reality because when you're trying to read through the conjugations, you have to almost think, okay, well, if this is what it was and this is what the surface form is, what's happening underneath? <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's kind of... <laughs> It's a bit of a mental I mean, roller coaster there, but I mean, it's it's you know a lot of good and interesting things happening. But there's you know there's there's real languages that have crazy crazy phonolog- phonological processes that make it oh, hard yeah. to understand what's going on from the surface form. So that's oh, not yeah. an unusual thing necessarily. This is uh pretty high in the the sort of the the difference between the the underlying in the surface form. Yeah. But it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it just makes things interesting, I think. Yeah. It just makes things more interesting. I definitely wouldn't um, call it a bad thing. Had he no, done no, the no. same sort of thing, but with more phonemes, I would say it was a bad thing. But because mm-hmm. he has such a reduced inventory, it works. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah that's uh, another thing. He was able to... So, we've talked on the show about how... You can take a small inventory and using phonological processes and phonotactics do a whole lot of different things. And this is an example of not so much with phonotactics, but with, with heavy, uh, phonological processes. This guy has, uh, created something very, uh, unique, very interesting from a small underlying phoneme inventory. Um, I think um, it's interesting he put in there, uh, or he or she, the, per, the com line has um, nominalization, pre- uh, prepositionalization, and ver- uh, verbalization. And that really helps if you have, um, you know, generating your dictionary, if you have a certain, you know, a certain amount of words and you want to create uh, different words from those, it's nice to show how you can nominalize something or make more prepositions from the, that small set you have. Yeah. It, yeah, it's very, um, it is, uh, very interesting. I don't, it seems a little odd to me that he has a, a productive process for producing, uh, prepositions, but I guess that's just my English brain objecting because, uh, well, I don't know. English makes new prepositions all the time. I don't know what's a, uh, what what makes me think it's odd, but for some reason I I think of it as odd. I think of um I think of closed class adpositions as more common even though English is not really that way either. But um I don't think they're an open say. class. I think it's a closed class, but there are ways to derive prepositions into that closed class. Um Using those rules that he gives. Oh well, yeah. He, you, the, it's sort of. It looks like it's a lot of sort of adding, uh, adding prepositions in. It, it, some of it's adding uh, prepositions together. So, and we have stuff like that. There's so behind is, uh, you and from behind is flick. Peak, peak. It's, no, it's a peak. aspirated P, I think. Yeah, peak, 
No. Is that drive somehow? No. Uh, and the, the in rare cases in isolation, it is not possible to tell the difference between complex preposition plus noun and a simple preposition plus compound noun. Hmm. Okay. Complex preposition is a freestanding phonological room unit. Okay. Oh, a noun can be turned into a preposition by attaching one of the... Now I understand. Okay. So That makes sense. Yeah. Because he only has, like, the three standard prepositions, and I was like, three? Yeah. That's a bit... It's a bit well, tight. so ilik means behind, and it's formed by adding the preposition uh, n, meaning on, on or at, to the noun ik, ik, meaning back. And then the from behind uses p, which is from. So that's what it is. He's, he's, mm-hmm. That seems... that Okay. I am yeah. completely stupid. That's There's nothing strange about that. That's, <laughs> uh, that's perfectly understandable um uh above now that's interesting above is uh the preposition on plus the verb to fly or to hover so uh, instead of having it be like up or anything it's it's uh at fly is above that's a that's an interesting way to derive that um Mm -hmm. So, did you guys get into much, like, syntactic stuff? I see the close, pause word order. Um, Not too much. It started getting a bit dense there, in the point where I couldn't really what was fo- follow his examples with what he was saying, just because mm-hmm. there was no glossing. Yeah. Was, uh, uh, you could, it, it looks like he, you can topicalize or... It looks like topics tend to be towards the front, which yes. makes sense. And uh, you, so you can topicalize the object moving it to the front, or you can de-topicalize a subject moving it to the back. Um, and there is a uh, there is a passive voice, but it works in an odd way. Yeah. It, you, he's just sort of switches places. One thing that it's seems not to make a morphological capacity. One thing that makes it a little tough to figure out what sub what um you know affixes are being attached to what is that the sandhi occurs and and it's written as it's spoken. And so I don't I'm not sure if this is it seems almost like um there's a lot of affixation in it, almost like agglutinative, but they're all, you know, put together and in the surface form of how it's written, it doesn't really necessarily see look like it's a um, a word with a functional a, a sub suffix. Just yeah, it's like an agglutinative. Word, so. It's it's an agglutinative language for the most part that um, looks uh, that ends up looking fusional on the surface. Yeah, mm-hmm. because of the way things change. Um, yes. Oh, this is interesting. His uh, counting numbers. So five is derived from hand, and he gets um, and then from six to nine we get uh, we get uh, 
hand in one, hand in two, hand in three. Well, it's more like one in hand, yeah. two in hand. Well, yeah, well, one in hand, mm-hmm. but basically yeah. that makes, that's, that, um, that's a, a common strategy that we've, we've talked about before yeah. in, uh, our, uh, numerals episode, but, uh, it's interesting to see a conlanger put that in action. Uh, it might be slightly more interesting if he made it irregular so that like six, seven, and eight were formed that way, but nine randomly had its own root. Um, kind of nice to see again, something this is very clear. <laughs> and again, this is a proto proto lang. So it may be that he put that in so that he could have the descendant languages choose one or another uh to have or not have or something like that uh derive other words from borrowings or from something else so again wish i could ask this guy some questions but i wasn't able to get a hold of it um yeah that's i mean there's a lot more stuff on here but uh We've been talking for quite a bit already, so I don't know. Is there anything you guys have that's burning to be said? Mm, not really. He does have some. He doesn't have a verb for possession, but I think he just uses his preposition with. So, like, I think it's something yeah. like the man with dog, or something, and that's yeah. the man and the dog. Mm. I saw another thing there where. Um, there, with expressions of something being with, uh, he said something about if something is sort of subordinate in some way with one, if one element is subordinate in one way, uh, to another in a, uh, a commendative structure, A with B, he uses A on B instead of A with B. Yeah. Uh, Mm. Yeah, which is an interesting distinction to make. I'm not exactly, I, I, I'd have to see some more examples to see exactly how that is working. Um, here we go. Committive. To express that a thing person and another thing person function together as a single constituent, but the second, second is somehow semantically subordinate to the first. The preposition a on at is used and attaches to the second noun phrase to form a prepositional phrase. So, and the example is a man with his dog. Uh, um, but, um, so he's using in instead of what is the uh, preposition for with. Um, no idea. Uh, but, um, I guess, and this is the question I would ask is, I guess maybe the dog is, uh, the dog belongs to the man, so that's, that's why it's, um, subordinate in that way. Uh, but I'm not sure if it's marked for possession or anything else. Um, so. Another um, interesting thing I was I just see here is for comparisons, um, mm. he uses the prepositions. So to say the man is bigger than the woman is literally the man is big on the woman. Or she is prettier than he is, <laughs> she is pretty on him. 
So that's uh, an interesting usage of that. And it's, you know. <laughs> that reminds me of this horrible joke I put into one of my conlangs. So it was possession. And it was like, if you want to say, I have a sister, it would be like, uh, my sister on me. But sister also meant like any other girl. So it would sound a little dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I think Actually, in that it's case... funny now that you said that because the stuff he does for possession is the stuff I did for. Um, crap! Now I got it backwards. The things he does for possession are what I did for like copula, and what mm-hmm. he did for copula is what I did for possession. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so, like, you're... man has a dog. A dog with man would be a man dog. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> a man dog. Uh, I just found the possession section. So. so, um, yeah, I think really, um, I suggest that people look through this this uh, document and take what what you will from it. Uh, understand that there's some stuff that's not fully explained, but um, you can probably use it to generate ideas for yourself and definitely look through the uh the phonological processes section because it's a very good way of um of figuring out how to um how to generate some irregular looking surface forms out of a regular uh language um the the and the uh the vocabulary at the end is sort of thematically well it's by part of speech that's arranged but um there's some interesting things there i noticed um it's actually in the grammar that he has fairly realistic um small set of basic color terms there's only four of them mm-hmm. um and they it looks like he sort of um did what you probably should do for a, a naturalistic language and uh just looked at the chart of uh of color term progression and chose a stage figured out from there um he has a few things that are um interesting in terms of semantic range other than the color terms but they're not mm, but it's not it's not a hugely detailed dictionary. And again, it's proto-proto language. You don't, I don't think he really needed to be hugely detailed in the lexicon. If he was talking about something that he was more interested in using in the, uh, for substantial work, or if he was talking about some of the daughter languages, I would expect some of those more complex meanings to develop and him to need a more, uh, a, a more fleshed out dictionary. So anyway, uh, anything, anything else that like burning in your mind or can we move on to some, uh, feedback? Feedback. Yeah. I think I've taken care of all the burning, burning points. Yes. (laughs) So, we have uh, Aaron writes in, Hi guys, greetings from Melbourne, Australia. Loving the podcast, keep up the good work. Only discovered it a few weeks ago, 
but have worked my way back through most of your back catalog. Jesus. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I had a question, which you might have covered in your episode on loan words, but I'm not sure. I am a high school language teacher, German, French, and Chinese. And when I was talking to one class about loan words between languages, we got off on a tangent about redundancies. For example, near our school was a water way called Mordia Lock Creek. In the indigenous Australian language, Boon Warung, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but uh, that was, that was spoken in this area before European settlement, the word Yalok means creek. So the English name is essentially Morty Creek Creek. Yeah. Uh, Sahara is also an anglicized version of the Arabic word for desert. And he mentions Mekong River. Mekong is Kong River. Uh, some others. I know it happens in numerous other contexts. Our question is whether there is an actual word for this phenomenon or is it just linguistic redundancy? Um, I believe the term for this is reanalysis. Right? I would um, not know. But I do have another so, example of it. Um. What is that example? Oh, um, my old roommate got annoyed at the word chai tea because apparently in Russian chai is tea, so it's tea tea. Yep. Yeah, but the does the word chai comes from Russian or well, chai is probably whatever language the 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 word came from. Chai probably means tea actually because cha yeah. cha the that the the Chinese form cha becomes the word for tea in so many different languages. And then the other one is te, which I'm not sure where it comes from. But, um, what, what I was saying is, um, so the, the Morty Lock Creek is a good example. So it's Morty Creek in this Australian language. But so that's a, like a compound of two words, but in English, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but in English we reanalyzed that as a single morpheme mordialoc and people added creek to it. This this happens we mentioned on on the load word episode that like grammatical things get glommed on this way, like all the uh loan words from Arabic that have al at the beginning, which is um uh an article in Arabic. Uh yeah. So it's and it's it's not redundant per se. It's just that basically when we borrowed the the term, we didn't know what it meant, and we changed the the internal structure of it in some cases. Or in the case of Sahara, we just we just uh, changed the meaning from desert to to uh, the name of this particular desert. I I just thought of another example. That's like um, you know, the city Los Angeles. Well, their baseball team are the Angels. So if you say the Los Angeles Angels, then that translates in English to the the Angels Angels. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people. A lot of people have have. But I think that one's more on purpose. Um, <laughs> sure, but um, as far as reanalysis goes, I was looking reanalysis goes. Um, I think that's also where where you basically reanalyze where the boundary is for. Um, the morpheme, like hamburger, and then went to cheeseburger because it was 
miss it was in, reanalyzed incorrectly as ham and burger, and then you switch ham for cheese. Yeah, you like, can change the structure that way too. Yep. Yeah, now means you're addicted to something. Yes, Holland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so this might be some kind of reanalysis where the people didn't speak the, the native language and figured that the word for creek Yaluk was part of the name. Yeah. And it doesn't have to happen with, uh, you, you mentioned a couple examples with, uh, native words, uh, that, you know, it's, it's not about loan words. Obviously, chocolate derives and alcohol both derive ultimately from loan words, but I mean, it can, it happens with fairly nativized English terms and it can also happen, uh, the the thing that a lot of people talk about is uh acronyms or initialisms getting reanalyzed so uh yep. people will say atm machine <laughs> yeah, or yeah yeah pin number or pin mm-hmm. number uh again they're reanalyzing the uh so that in their minds atm is not automatic teller machine it's just atm and ATM means this particular type of machine, so they can attach machine on the end of it. Uh, or PIN number is not personal identification number, it's just PIN. And so they can say number on it. Uh, it's just, um, it, so that's what we, what I would call it is reanalysis. Uh, basically, uh, either, uh, Borrowing something and borrowing it with a different meaning than the original, which is really common, actually. Mm-hmm. A lot of languages will do that. Or, um, messing up the, or, um, misanalyzing the internal structure or just not knowing the internal structure and taking it as a single morphine. Uh, so. I think mm-hmm. it's, yeah. So it's not redundant in English to say, the, the the bottom line is it's not redundant in English because in English it's not Morty Creek. It's Morty Alok is the name. So anyway, I was gonna say uh, um, I think it'd be redundant if you understood both languages, but th- that it, that you know a speaker of English wouldn't know necessarily that Yalok was for Creek. Um, you could just yeah. as well say the the Morty Alok, uh, you know, forest. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're contra- contrasting in name or meaning. Um, you've just reanalyzed what earlier was a term for creek as part of the name. Um, yeah. With our conlang, the 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 uh, name of the language alubet uh, is the word for language. So if someone were to say the alubeta language, would kind of be saying the language language, but still, that's a kind of just if you don't speak both languages, you may not know what that word is and just pick it. Yeah. Uh I I I love Skype like freaked out when you said Alubata. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. It's uh thundering uh, still here. But anyway, yeah, that's true. And think of how many languages are just the word for language. Or like the Inuit people. The people Yeah. People. <laughs> oh, are they uh, in Inuit means people? Yeah. I did not know that. I mean, that happens all the time, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to know every language in the world to know if I'm saying something silly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, um, but uh, it's, 
It's uh, an interesting thing that happens. It's just, it just goes to show when people are. I think the main thing to think about, especially thinking about uh, this in in terms of conlangs, is when words are borrowed between languages or when languages come into contact. People don't have complete information about the other language. And people don't even have complete information about everything in their own language, which is what is part of what drives linguistic change is that different people learn things differently. So, you know, it's, it's a very interesting, you know, thing to be thinking about sort of if you're putting sort of loan words or stuff into your conlang too, or complex uh or complex uh mm, po- things like initialisms and stuff complex abbreviation structures and uh complex morphology that can end up being reanalyzed so i think that's enough discussion on that bit uh i think yeah, any objections to wrapping up the show nope, nope. i think we're good Wrap it up, put a bow on it, send it okay. out to the masses. <laughs> All right, then uh, I'm going to start, since you haven't been on for such a long time. Bianca, do you have any final words of wisdom? You know I will never have words of wisdom. I can't believe you even still do <laughs> words of wisdom. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, Mike? Um same as always try new things um you know take a look at other people's conlangs this conlang will have some interesting things you can look at get inspiration from um so yeah just be awesome and conlang yay <laughs> very wise words indeed hopefully our 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 uh next person coming on will be better at final words of wisdom <laughs> I could try to find a, a quote during the week for our words of wisdom but it may or may not be related to Kamlani <laughs> uh, it doesn't have to be anyway <laughs> I'm gonna before that conversation derails I'm gonna say happy Conlang. thank you for listening to Conlangery you can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com you can send questions comments or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a conlang or natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our contribute page for details. Web space for conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our theme music is by Null Device. Okay, um, Mike, Bianca, Bianca, Mike. Hello, nice to meet you. Hello, hello. Yes, <laughs> you too. Hmm. I'm convinced they don't have weather here. Like, I think the only reason people think the weather here is is because British people complain about it all the time. But they have, like, anti-weather. Like, the most it ever does is rain for, like, five seconds, and then stops, and they're like, it was such a crap day, it rained, and I was like, nothing happened.
It's not even real rain. What do you think of uh, Wisconsin? <laughs> Wisconsin's great. Um, at least Madison is great. I haven't uh, been many other places. I can get really good cheese. There's stuff, if you go to like supermarkets here, there's, there's cheeses that are labeled as Wisconsin cheese, so... Um, Hmm. or like local farmer stuff, whatever. Um, it's, it's hilarious. When I first got here, like, like the day after I arrived, I went and I found a supermarket and it was like I was in the cartoon version of Wisconsin because there was actually a section there with a big sign that said cheese and like there's a guy around whose job it is presumably to wander around and help random tourists who walk wander in to to select cheeses <laughs> oh what a glamorous job I wonder how you put that on your resume I was a cheese expert perhaps a cheese um like you know the guy who sits in the front of the hotel how do you um, get a job as a cheese expert does that mean eating lots of cheese Cause I love cheese. <laughs> oh, cheese is amazing. I love cheese. Too. Oh, if I could be like a cheese and ice cream expert. Yes. It was. I. I think he's just an hourly grocery store em- employee, but he was in a fancy uniform and he knew enough about the cheeses. So. I know all no. about cheeses. I could be a cheese expert. <laughs> a connoisseur of cheese, or perhaps a connoisseur. A doctor of cheeseology. A PhD. But I get to do a driving license again. Yay! We have a show to do. Do we not? Uh, I guess you guys were already making a bunch of notes, so... 